Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. Just a reminder that I have a book out called Lump, published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. Lump is my third novel. I've read it, and it's good. If you don't believe me, the Toronto Star has called Lump one of the must-read, hands-down best books of 2023 so far. Between now and December 11th, Canadian readers can save 25% when they purchase Lump or any other Dundurn book. Just go to dundurn.com and use code HOLIDAY23 at checkout. That's code HOLIDAY23 at dundurn.com to get 25% off the purchase of my new novel, Lump. My guest on this episode is Hiromi Goto. Hiromi's first novel, Chorus of Mushrooms, won the 1995 Commonwealth Writers' Prize for Best First Book and was the co-winner of the Canada-Japan Book Award. Her second adult novel, The Kappa Child, won the 2001 James Tiptree Jr. Memorial Award. She's published multiple novels for adults and children, as well as a book of poetry and a collection of short stories. She's also won the Sunburst Award and the Carl Brandon Parallax Award. Hiromi's most recent book, Shadow Life, her first graphic novel created with Anjou, was published by First Second Books in 2021. Shadow Life won the 2022 Asian Pacific American Literature Award for adult fiction and was nominated for a 2022 Glad Media Award and an LA Times Book Prize. The New York Public Library also declared it one of the best books of 2021. Publishers Weekly, in its review of Shadow Life, said this wry, genre-bending graphic novel delves into aging, independence, lost love, and mortality with a whimsy that doesn't undercut its literary heft. Hiromi and I talk about her current situation in which she finds herself unable to read and write barely at all, and about the work she's doing as a part-time farmhand that, even if it doesn't help her get writing again, is doing some very good things for her soul. very first thing I want to talk to you about, um, and I hope you're okay with this, that we're jumping right in, which is that you are currently off writing. You're off writing and you're also off reading. So I want to kind of dig into that. I mean, you're someone who has many books in multiple genres. You've published stories and poetry and graphic novels. Uh, What does that mean to be off reading and off writing? Uh, It means um, like many stages emotional stages Um, and uh, you know wrestlings um, internal wrestlings uh, anxiety sleepless nights um, and then surrender but you know to kind of scroll it back I think it it was it actually kind of crept upon me it wasn't it wasn't instantaneous it just Mm -hmm. crept in it was slowly creeping in um like those uh like the ice tentacles that come into the ocean there's a documentary where you see these ice tentacles coming down um and start freezing everything um maybe it was like that was slow um and it built um and then finally reached a state where i just it was a little bit like a block for a while it was just for a while it was just writer's block right okay 
Um, so the writing. Were you trying to, were you actually trying to work on something actively working on something? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a professional writer. So writing is my life, um, my life work, um, and my passion and my, um, you know, creative, where I find creative satisfaction, all of it. Um, and you know, I thought it was my life work. Um, but before the writing was a deep, deep love of reading from, you know, childhood onward, it's always, always been there. So when I first started to experience what I was thought of as quote unquote writer's block, I was like, okay, you know, this is a cliche writer with writer's block, blah, blah, who cares? Um, you know, carry on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would facilitated creative writing workshops, um, in different venues. Um, and, um, I would tell uh, the participants, you know, like writing is also a job. Like you don't say, oh, I don't feel like going to my job today. You you, you have to go to your job um, and mm-hmm. do your work. And so just just do your do your work, do your page counts. You know, um, I had a simple maths approach to my deadlines. I had so many days to deadline. So I had to do so many pages. And that was that. Um, and, and I did them for the most part. Um, so, you know, I had sort of that mentality for a while, just plowing through. Um, and so, so maybe this is like, you know, where, where work become, where, where your, um, where your joy and passion turns into work. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be losses experienced there about process. Um, is it the sort and, of joy, the joy of yeah. discovery or the joy of that risk starts to feel a little less like you start feeling a little more constrained in terms of your approach, in terms of your imagination? Possibly. Um, I can't say it's just that um, because. I mean, I think, you know, that's a part of it, too, um, but I think because once once the creative writing process was kind of fully into a job format in many ways. Um, yeah. You you need to, you need to stay on schedule. Um, mm-hmm. And that means you can't wander off that path to see what's, you know, what's over there or what's, what's up down that unmarked trail. Like you have to stay on the path. Um, so maybe I found it creatively stifling in some ways. Um, but um, it, it might also be that I was coming, bumping up to the, the limits of my own imagination, uh, which is not a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I... I asked my, I was ta- talking to my mom about um, not being able to write. And, she, you know, I have this really interesting relationship. We all have really interesting relationships with our parents mm-hmm. um, for different reasons. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes my mom could have like the best advice. And sometimes she would say these uh, provide insights or input that I would find unhelpful or, you know, sure. kind of yeah. like, 
kind of hurtful. I'm just like, oh, mixed bag, mixed bag. (laughs) But then, you know, I was like going through a bad patch of like not being able to write. And I said, you know, mom, I can't, I can't. I didn't say mom. I said, Okasa. I said, um, Okasa, I I, I can't write. And she said, oh, you know, you're in a creative work. You've probably dipped from the well too much and you need to replenish the well. Hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, that was a great metaphor. Um, and um, then I said, Mom, it's not just it's not just the writing. I, I can't read either. I don't I don't I mean, I can read, obviously, but I, I don't want to read that right. desire to to read doesn't come up inside of me anymore. And then my mom said, oh, you're tired of words. Oh, interesting. I know, yeah. right? Wow. And I'm like, wow, mom, that's a gem. <laughs> oh, mom. <laughs> so you see how, like, this is like a, this is why I keep on going back because sometimes she'll come up, come up with these like, mm, perfect kind of synthesis of understanding. I'm just like, mm, mom. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Parents that- are, uh, parents are like a casino, you know, <laughs> you don't always win. You often go home. <laughs> feeling pretty shameful and embarrassed but some days you walk out a winner and you're like that's all the, all the coins coming out and you're like Cha-ching! yeah you walk out a winner <laughs> anyways um that was brilliant and like that kind of that has stuck with me and, and it also kind of like feels true in some ways um like i'm i'm still through this process um I, I, you know, it's not like I'm absolutely zero reading. Like, you know, I, I read articles, for instance. Right. Um, but I don't seem to be pulled towards large form text. Um, and I, maybe this is something a lot of people are experiencing because we do a lot of our reading on our devices now. Yeah. Um, and our, the re- relationship to our reading practice has shifted, um, you know, with the digital, the technical platforms um and you know they do say it rewires our brains um so i think about that um but um i'm showing what a poor journalist i am by the way by not asking a simple question which is just when did this start when what what's the timeline of this because uh shadow life came out was that that was 2021 so was this in the wake of that book coming out of that graphic novel or was it even happening before that book was published was this something that had extended for example before the pandemic began or did it happen start happening during the pandemic um well shadow life was written a long time it was written and completed as as a manuscript a long time before it was published all right because you'd have to get the art yeah the the art took a, a you know the art takes quite a bit of time, but even before that, there was a huge gap between the sale of the manuscript and the um, it coming out in, in print form. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was actually like close to 10 years, um, oh, which wow. was like, yeah, it was just like wild, but it was like, <laughs> oh, okay. It's, it's like, oh, I guess this kind of thing can happen, but it's just like, you know, carry on. Um, and so, in some ways um shadow life is is not such a new project for me right, it, it was just published it was just published fairly recently um 
So no, this um the the, the shifting relationship feelings um connections towards uh reading and writing was pre-pandemic it was like you know the ice tentacles were already coming yeah. in um before that and um it was it was just, it was a slow creep um and um i remember a, a long time ago i don't know at least at least at least 20 years ago maybe between 15 and 20 years ago i was at a um science fiction uh fantasy conference in um the lower mainland and there was a, a famous um fantasy writer there uh, i've forgotten his name um and he was an older person um i would say you know late late 60s early 70s and at that time i was in like i don't know my 40s or something and um we we were chatting in the green room or something and you know he said yeah yeah, I, I I don't read anymore. And I was just like, what? Right, right. I was like, what? I was like, how can you? I was thinking like ju judgy too. So mm -hmm, judgy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, how can you be a writer and not read, you know, stay like current and, and you know, know what's out there and also be engaged with, with the text. And, and, and then I was like, I was so kind of, I was like, oh, I'll never be like that. And then, like, you have these thoughts, and then they come around and bite your ass later. Of course, yeah. <laughs> they always come around and bite your ass. It's like, ah, darn it. <laughs> 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 it's happened to me over and over again. It's like, mm. but you know, it also keeps you kind of humble because it's like, oh, okay, it, this is a thing that that can happen, um, and and it did. Um, and then, you know, carry on. Do you remember a particular book or, or, you know, collection of poems, collection of short stories? Do you remember a particular thing that you were reading where you had a very intense feeling of, I don't want to finish this. I'm not enjoying this. It's an effort to push my eyes forward in the text. I'm just not, I... I intellectually know I should be engaging with this, but I'm not engaging with. Was there ever one book oh, where, the, where the where the warnings went off, or was it just so slow slow a creep that it it was never a single book? No, I mean I I have that I have that feeling. I, I mean I did have that feeling a lot before reading different texts because, um, just because you're just reading different forms of narrative. And so some narrative forms are quote unquote easy reads um, mm -hmm. and others are not. And so, you know, there are times when I've picked up a book and say, oh, I can't read that. It's too dense or something, you know, put yeah. it down and then pick it up again and say, oh, let me try it again. And it's like, oh, I can't read. I can't read this. Put it down, you know, several months and then pick it up again. Try again. Like, wait a minute. And it's like I've switched some kind of brain channel to the channel I'm supposed to be on mm -hmm. to be able to participate in that text. Um, and so it wasn't a matter of being pushed out of a text being the signal of the beginning of the end, because I, there's lots of 
books that I find quote unquote challenging to read. Um, and then, but still been able to return and, and to read it and really appreciate it a great deal. Um, but it's more, more like I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, the, the pull to read a uh, longer form, um, you know, I particularly appreciate longer form speculative fiction, um, love to read it. Um, and like longer form fiction, which has elements of the magical or the fantastic. So obviously like, I, I like to read the kind of books that I like to, to write. Right. Um, so like those books that I find quote unquote easy to read were no longer easy to read. So then mm. that was more like a right. signal of, of, of uh, the shift. Um, but I mean, also to be clear, it's not like I'm absolutely not reading anything anymore. Um, you know, the last book I read was, uh, Kiel McClear's memoir, Unearthing, mm -hmm. which, um, happily was had like sort of short pieces in it, like the sections <laughs> where it's just like, oh yes, this is perfect. <laughs> it's like 20 articles in a row instead of, <laughs> like, <laughs> instead of they're like, short. they could be read like sort of in, I mean, it, it accretes, but it was also, yeah. you know, in, in smaller sections. And so that was great. Um, and it was also very gripping on a personal level because uh, Kyo is also a friend um, and a peer and, um, you know, the story she, the experience she recounts in that, uh, the memoir was really gripping and, you know, um, affecting. So, so there are, I, I can read a little bit, but like before I, you know, I was the kind of person who would read a, a, a novel in, you know, eight hours in one mm -hmm. sitting. Um, and, and, and that, that's not happening anymore. Yeah. So. You keep using language that, um, almost feels clinical like this is a medical <laughs> thing as opposed I, I to wonder I wonder as opposed to I don't feel like it or I'm not enjoying it or I'm not engaging or my whatever my imaginations aren't there it feels less emotional and feels more I, like an actual a, physical blockage just the way you're 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 sort of discussing it it's emotional too I mean absolutely. sure yeah of yeah. course yeah yeah but um you know I don't speak so freely about my emotions and yeah yeah right. but no it, you know it's also let me let me tell you it was also a little bit like a little bit like falling out of love mm. yeah yeah well then, it's it's also part of your job yeah. uh as a writer to take a extreme emotion and turn it into a monster <laughs> like, like just find the monster that's going to be like creeping out of the closet and uh as opposed to just saying it's an emotion it's actually this creepy jellied thing that slides into the door or something i'm an avatar of myself <laughs> that's a exact see i knew you would put it that way i knew yeah, that's why you're that's why you are still a writer <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Roy Mickey. Um, who's mm -hmm. uh? Do you know Roy Mickey? He's I know. A, I know of, of him. Know, yeah. Obviously, by reputation, I know. Of, yes. Yeah. Of yeah. I I think of him as my senpai, um, which is you know, um, sort of like my um mentor slash elder, uh, teacher slash guide person, um, and um, you know, I I told him, yeah, Roy, um, I'm not writing anymore and you know i 
I'm a farmhand and I really love it. And Roy said, oh, you know, all of these things that you're experiencing now will, will come back to writing again. Um, and he said that was quite with uh, considerable confidence. So like, okay, I'll take that, Roy. Thanks. Right. Well, I've yeah. actually, that's interesting because I've, you know, looking at some past interviews that you've done, I've caught little references to you mentioning, and I think you even used the word fallow period. You use the term fallow as in just mm -hmm. like, it's just a field that's just has to sit and wait. It's not a, again, it's not a, um, not like something has broken. It's not like something has become deficient. It's not like something has become, uh, it's not like there's a crisis. It's just that this, maybe this field needs to lay fallow for a little while. Is that part of how you've come to that position of acceptance or surrender, I guess, is the word you use? Yeah, um, I think, you know, with acceptance, with acceptance, I feel like acceptance feels better than feeling shitty all the time. Sure. Yeah. That's, and that's, 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 that's mom wisdom right there. <laughs> I'm actually a mom. I, so, know. <laughs> so I could like, I could like, you know, dish a little bit of it out. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you are the casino. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'd like to, I like to think, um, the, I like to think the field is, uh, in fa fallow uh, fallow season or fallow seasons um because you know there's still lots of life happening in a fallow field it's like mm -hmm. excellent for the microbes and the insects and all the living um you know creatures um it thrives in a different kind of way and you know i was also thinking as a writer full-time writer it's it, I'm sure people have more balanced lives than I I did, but when you know when I'm full time writing, I had a very sedentary life. Mm -hmm. I was sitting at the computer a lot. I, I'm sure you appreciate this. Um, it was a lot of uh, sitting in the office, um, a lot of reading indoors, um, and you know, like also. The writing culture there's a lot of drinking of alcohol it's 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 pretty big part of the sort of you know social gatherings um mm -hmm. with writers um so in in some ways i think it was a fairly unhealthy lifestyle um in many ways um so i've been like thinking about that and now that i'm working on um in gardens and in, in, at a farm and working my body, which my body is loving it. Like my mind body is loving it. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, Oh, you know, maybe like, I'm like kind of like an octopus and like my, you know, brain neuron clusters in my limbs and my whole body were kind of like atrophied and starving. Meanwhile, my, you know, I was using my brain a lot, my, you know, like brain function and it was like very unbalanced and you know so then maybe it's just kind of gone the other way uh so that my body wants to do I, I really want to do physical things mm -hmm. um and it's also been you know it, it's actually been a huge blessing in some ways because you know I'm 
56, I think. <laughs> um, I think of 56. Um, and, you know, to come around to being back in my body and appreciating um, what my body's capable of again, to build up strength and endurance um, and inhabit physical space, um, feel, you know, the entire day with my body while I work hard, um, sweating, sweating. Um, right. it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to be able to feel that again. Um, and how long, it. how long have you been, uh, working at this farm? When did that begin? Um, it's part, it's I'm a part-time farmhand. Um, so it's not a full-time job, which I don't think I can actually physically do at this point. Um, yeah, it's just it's like so much, so much labor. Uh, I was hired, I think about a year and a half ago. Um, but before that I was, um, volunteering there for for like a about a year um okay. and i would i would just go once once a week um and volunteer they would have me do some tasks like um cut down blackberry vines um you know so so uh, like a menial labor or something or, or shell dried beans or something and i was right. like wow i love this work um and there, especially sort of the repetitive work, um, mm -hmm. it stills the unquiet mind. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. it was just, you know, like sometimes, you know, before when I was washing dishes, I would get what I call a brain wave. Um, and like some, I, I would figure out a plot point in my story or something. Like, yes, that's, that's what I need. Or if you're driving um, down a uh, highway in Alberta, where it's like a very long straight highway. Um, and, um, you know, then you could click into that part of your brain that, um, you can't tap into usually. Yeah. So, so I, I, I can do that when I'm doing the, the labor too. Um, and it, yeah, that all feels good. So it's basically, you know, I, I have talked about the blockages, so, you know, this thing that happens kind of like a technical thing that I can't do anymore, but it is also all a lot about like feeling how my body feels and how my emotions feel um, with this whole thing and moving towards things that feel nurturing and good. Yeah. It makes complete sense to me. I it's, it's on such a smaller scale, but I, during the pandemic, I started volunteering at a local um like food pantry where you oh, yeah, you know yeah. you fill the shelves and people yeah. can take whatever they need yeah. it's like cans of soup toothpaste yeah. toothbrushes whatever and i always volunteer to do the like restocking and go right, down in the basement right. and fill the shelves right because the same thing i just i spend so much time sitting right here <laughs> at this laptop yeah yeah that to get out and to stock a shelf and it, like you i couldn't do it every day and i don't I'm a complete, um, you know, dilettante when it comes to it. I would be crying after about four days straight of it. <laughs> I would be like, please get me back. I've, I've worked in bars. I've worked, right, like, right, talking, right. you know, I've done those yeah. jobs. I yeah. know what, what a privilege it is to sit at a laptop and not be sweaty and dirty yeah. and yeah. not be covered in yeah. beer or, yeah. you know, whatever. But to have a little bit of it, to to get back to that sense of, I have to lift and I have to just do this. And I don't, I'm not responsible for 
thinking anything through. My brain can take a little time off. <laughs> it's it's a wonderful feeling. Uh, honestly, having a dog, we got a dog recently or in a couple of years ago, and just knowing that I have to throw a ball for this crazy border collie and just do this for the next hour and I'm just yeah, going to be doing yeah. this for the next hour again yeah. your brain can kind of lift off mm -mm -mm. yeah I also wonder though and that this is not questioning anything that you're doing or questioning anything you've said I will not be shocked if in six months eight months I see a notice in Quill and Choir that you will be publishing a memoir <laughs> about being a farmhand. <laughs> my life as a farmhand and how I fought my way back to my imagination. Because I do what? think the the writer's mind is kind of predatory in that sense of you're always like, I there's something going to happen. My brain is going to turn this into its fuel for for those words that you're tired of right now. Um. I, I think, you know, people who are engaged with a creative life, um, it's it's kind of like a, a muscle that, that is working, that you work, but it's also like, you know, you have maybe when, when you've worked creatively for a long time, you have like the desire to continue doing creative work like it's mm -hmm. it's fun to make up stuff you sure. know it's it's fun to make things um and um so that even, feels, even if that's that non-fiction even if it's non-fiction it's good to yeah, like create yeah, just just to like sketch a sketch a picture or you know um try felting or uh, take a, a basket weaving class just to the i think to make something is there's you know there's probably like a very primal you know urge for us to make things um mm -hmm. i mean we we make food all the time so that, that that's because you know that's a that's a very common thing that we are most of us make um but um i started having less uh imaginative flights of fancy like you know like often i was just like oh this and this could happen or oh wonder i wonder about this or like that that completely damped down um but i'm starting to get like small small sort of small speeds of, mm. of oh that could be a story or 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 that could be a story moment um so that imagination is starting to come back um we'll see if it comes back full circle. as also i'm also I'm a terrible genre jumper um and so memoir is not something i've um written yet so maybe it's it'll yeah, this be may be the one this yeah may be who the knows time. yeah who knows <laughs> just to talk about that for a moment in terms of your career to date you have you are a real genre jumper like you there is no such thing as you know the quote unquote Hiromi Goto novel or book like if you say that it could be of one of multiple different kinds of books kinds of texts kinds of stories has that been a frustration for people around you like agents and editors where they're like can you just do that thing we we did you did it so well last time can you just do that again what do you mean you're doing a completely different thing? 
Has that been a frustration? If it has, my um, very uh, patient and generous uh, agent has never said so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think <laughs> she 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 got a, a sense of, um, you know, what kind of writer I was um, and that I have to be emotionally and intellectually engaged with the process. I'm a process driven writer. Right. So I want to understand something through the writing of it. Um, so for uh, Shadow Life, the graphic novel, I was just like, oh, I've never written a graphic novel, the script for a graphic no novel before. I wonder if it's hard. I wonder what it's like. I did wonder if it was quote unquote easier because there are fewer words than a mm -hmm. novel novel because the artist does a lot of heavy, the most of the heavy lifting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they do the actual physical labor of making the story come alive. Um, and then I thought, okay, the graphic novel, I bet you it's kind of like writing a screenplay, which I haven't written either. Um, but I thought, you know, I've read screenplays. I'm like, it must be like, it must be similar to that. I want to try writing it to see what it's like. Right, right. Yeah. So that that's that's part of the process too. Is like I'm curious about a that that's not the only reason, but I was very curious about the form itself, um, and then wanting to work with constraints of the form. So it's like, okay, I don't want large chunks of text only. I want it to the story to be all visual. Um, so things like that. So like I, I'd like sort of the technical kind of. Um, the makings of how do I make this, um, mm -hmm. which is just like a, a delight to kind of figure out and also challenging and hard, but oh, of course, delightful. I have this I have this feeling or this theory that writers who are who come out of a background of just text words, pure, pure words, no images, when they kind of enter that world of graphic novels, it feels like this like they're seeing magic happen that they don't quite understand and they get very fast. That's at least my, been my uh, experience. And I've had writer friends who have the same thing, but they will come across a really good graphic novel. And it's, there's just something in there that they can't quite grasp. They can read a really good book, a really good novel. And even though they're impressed, they're kind of, they kind of get how they got how that writer got from A to B to C. Right, right. They can see the strategies. They can see what was really good, what was just solid. But when it's graphic novel, you're like, this is just a picture of a bird flying out a window or a fire truck going by. And yet it says everything I would have taken 5,000 words <laughs> to yeah, say. Yeah. yeah. But I also will say that I think people come out of a background of creating comics. Like that's their, that was where they began writing comic strips it's a little less magical because they're like, oh, they're just big, long comic comic strips. Like they understand the visual language much more intuitively. So for a writer like you or I, we have to actually work to learn that new language yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I don't have to say it. I don't have exactly. to explain. <laughs> I don't exactly. have to say this person was sad. Yeah. yeah. They just have to be shown standing there alone. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. So I can, I totally understand that that process that that interest in just 
how can I make one of these? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. these are so great. Um, I will also say you mentioned your your very generous agent and how they have not said anything. I'm sure that's true. Um, I will say many, many, or not many, but uh, almost two decades ago, I used to work for Anne McDermott. I was oh, one of her. Oh. I was one of her assistants. Oh, I was in the office. Yes, oh you were. Gosh. You were a. I thought you were a young was, writer yourself. Yeah. Your name was familiar. I was just like. Yes, I was one of the. Uh, I was one of the office assistants. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, back in the like Kappa Child days. Yes, this was uh, way back when. Yes, that's right. And oh I will say that, not put not putting any specific agents under the bus, but agents do say a lot in the office that they don't say to their writers they do express certain frustrations i imagine so i imagine her... so because like on a bit like, i can see like the business side of things too i'm not like you know completely oh, of course yeah yeah i was just like yeah it would be like oh my gosh what is this person going to do next how am i supposed <laughs> to sell that how are we going to develop our brand you know, like, yeah. you know, I, I get it. Like the the book publishing industry, it's an industry, you know, so. Mm -hmm. It, it also taught me too, though, that the other side of it as a writer, which is don't bring your agent in too soon because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they will have good advice, but their advice is always towards a particular goal that might not be your writerly goal, might not be the mm -hmm. same goal as your, it might be the one that increases your bank account by a better yeah. Yeah. margin but it's not necessarily your artistic goal no no and also you know like the two three book deal man that's yeah. the mind killer oh, <laughs> oh it's the mind killer that's true no. that's very very true yeah 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 i uh i also have to say i um remember reviewing one of your books for quill inquire years ago i was the person who reviewed uh darkest light um Oh, and I will. Okay. Yep, there you go. See, I've come in and I'm out of so your life. You didn't even yeah. know I was there. You didn't even know I was there. No, I, I just like... snuck in and out, and you had no idea. It's like a ninja. <laughs> it's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, absolutely selfishly, which is that it has been, uh, it has been a disappointment when every group of years goes by and I don't see a third or fourth or fifth book oh. set within that world, oh. within that half world universe, because half world and darkest light, darkest light, especially was, is so visceral and was so brilliant and was so dark without feeling like it was trying to be. Ooh, spooky and dark it was just sort of naturally unsettling and so sticky in a you know literal sense but also in a narrative sense that yeah selfishly I'm I'm always uh -huh. like I'm one of those readers who's like yeah but when is when's the next half world book coming <laughs> there has to be another so half world book. for saying that um I really appreciate it so um, I'm gonna ask was there ever any thoughts or in your mind of a third, fourth volume, or was it when you got to the end of that book, you're like, I think I'm I'm done with this world. Um, you know, I I, I was curious about Cracker. Mm, yeah, yeah, I was curious about Cracker. Um, and also, you know, the um, the different animals. 
Um, so I think, you know, you talked about sort of like the natural darkness or the sort of the horrific elements of, of the tale. And mm -hmm. when I'm writing novels, um, I actually in, inhabit those spaces. Right. Um, okay. So it, it's kind of like a weird form of method acting. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I take on roles. So like when I'm like, I'm in character um, in some ways. So Half World was like, a, like you know, it's a grim, grim place. Um, it is, yeah. And but not, you know, not without uh, people trying to do the right thing or good things. Um, so it, it was hard to hard to stay there for like several years. Um, I get it. Yeah, but um, I mean, what was so brilliant about those books was it's, which is very unusual for young adult books which is that the morality is so much foggier <laughs> for characters to do the right mm -hmm. thing the quote-unquote right thing it's not as simple as well i'm wearing a white hat and that person's wearing a black hat so i sh i'm the hero <laughs> they're the villain it was much more about self-interest and desire and certain kinds of longing and certain places where you where you belong and do you belong at all which is so much more difficult than just should I be the hero or be the villain, which everybody would make the right choice if it was that simple. So I can I can sort of get that, that it would be uncomfortable to be within that imaginative space. I, it was, you know, it was, I, I also, I was writing those novels too when my children were younger. I think part of the... Um, jumping of genres was a way to write stories for um, my children in some ways and mm -hmm. not that they necessarily love the stories that I write um, and I don't expect them to <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> like, you know, it's like why would you love mummy stories <laughs> like, no, no. you don't want to go down that route um but you know so i was writing them when my my children were younger um and you know seeing like when when my children were younger reading books with them along the stages of of their reading development um and then reading young adult novels and then you know reading certain kinds of of um novels YA novels uh very few uh, children of color as a central character, mm -hmm. um, especially in speculative fiction and like, if, especially in fantasy. Um, this, you know, this is back like in the 90s, early, two, early 2000s. And so my whole thing is if it's not there, then then make it. Mm, yeah. Um, and then, you know, with in terms of the the morality or the the, the wrestling with um, moral decisions, I, I I remember being um, you know a, a teen or a child and like really struggling, trying to do the right thing or what is the right thing um, and feeling this pressure. But it was also very. It felt like it was very complex, and then you know that there were narratives um, or in religions that would pit things as as being like as you said 
you know, just either black or white. Uh, it's mm-hmm. very like yes or no. Um, but real life is is so complex. Um, it's and sometimes there is no right answer. No. Uh, um, and, and and then yeah. So then t- learning to be comfortable enough with the ambiguity. Uh, yes. So you know, so that we don't, so we don't lose our mind. Um, well, to put you on the spot one last time, and you've been very oh, generous with your time. <laughs> I also came across a quote in an interview where you said about potential future works that you said, and this is a quote: "You would love to write a kick-ass space opera with middle-aged women of color heroes." I want to know: Did you ever start? Was there is there like twenty pages of a screenplay of that kick-ass space opera? Because Again, I feel the idea that you're working on a farm is is great, and I actually envy it. But I also want to see that space. Opera. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would, I would, I would like to see it too. Um, you, like, you, did you see everywhere, everything, all at oh, once? Yes. I, I don't oh, know. Yes. That's it's a very hard title to remember for yes. someone like me. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but that was very heartening to see mm-hmm. that film. Um. I have not started the screenplay um, and it just like, you know, it's just one of those in the ideas file in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, I've got a couple of ideas files in my head with sort of like big project ideas um, that remain unwritten, but I would still possibly like to write maybe when, you know, my octopus brain arms decide that I can um, sit at the computer again. What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.